You're listening to the Pursue God Truth Podcast, the official channel for faith and life topics at PursueGod.org. Join us every week as we explore new topics from a biblical perspective. Today we're going to continue our study of the Gospel of Mark. We're in Mark chapter 5 today, and we're going to be looking today in the first 20 verses, so we've got a lot to cover. I'm joined in the studio by Pastor John. John, we've got a lot to cover today, and it's the it's the healing of the demon-possessed guy. And so a lot of listeners might say, okay, I don't, I don't really have much to learn here. I'm not demon-possessed. You know, I don't know how this is going to relate to my life. But, but here's what we really want to focus on, even before we get into the story. We want to focus on this healing that you're about to hear that elicited two polar opposite reactions. So one reaction you're going to notice is just this off-field worship from one group, including the guy who gets healed. But the other reaction, it's really interesting, the other reaction is more fear than anything. And it's the kind of fear that leads the people to reject Jesus. And so I think it's going to show us the, the impact that Jesus had on the world at his, in his day and even the impact that he has on the world today. You either love, or, love him or you hate him. You, you embrace him and you love what he did for you or or you reject him and uh, and you you persecute him and his followers. And so really, whatever whatever their motive, there are just some people, 2,000 years ago and today, there are just some people who are determined to fight against Jesus, whether their motive is financial, which is the story today, or political or relational or emotional or whatever. There are just some people who are going to reject Jesus. They're going to reject his his teachings, and they're even going to reject his followers. And then there are other people who are going to embrace the message. And and so really, let's pay attention to these two polar opposite reactions. And John, I think it's good. We, we like to start with a question every week as we study the Gospel of Mark. I think it's good to, to start with this question, to get people thinking about this question. Is there a line that you won't let Jesus cross in your life. Like you'll accept him as long as he doesn't cross this particular line. Help us to understand that question. Yeah, it really talks to the lordship of Jesus in our lives. You know, Jesus Jesus is our friend. Uh, Jesus is our rescuer. Jesus is our redeemer. All those things are true for those of us who have put our faith in him. But Jesus is also the king of kings. You know, Jesus is our lord which means we give him the authority in our life. And I would imagine all of us at one time have wrestled with that. We, we come to something, we come to a point where we, you know, we have to make that decision, okay, even though this is hard, even though this may not even seem right in the moment, I'm going to submit to Jesus's lordship. And so if you're still kind of investigating Jesus, if you're still checking him out or Maybe you've begun a relationship with Jesus, but in your mind, you're like, man, I hope he doesn't ask me to blank, you know, whatever that is for you. I'll I'll follow you, Jesus, as long as it doesn't mean I have to give up my job because I really like my job. Or I'll follow you, Jesus, as long as I can keep watching Game of Thrones or whatever. You can tell I'm I'm, I'm not up to the times, but whatever the current uh, (laughs) series is that everybody loves uh, or... You know, as long as long as you don't call me to talk about you to my friends, um, or even you know, even things that that we see in our culture, 
that are difficult, and I don't want to minimize it, but you know, even if it's regarding my sexuality or uh, even if I really love this person and we're dating, but they're not a believer, but I am, and and we're talking about marriage, right? You know, what is that line where you're no longer going to allow Jesus to call the shots in your life, to be the authority? And I would just remind our listeners that there shouldn't be any line, you know, that, that Jesus is the King of Kings. And, and the lines that he has for us, by the way, the boundaries he has for us, they're always for our good. They're always because he knows what's best for us, and we can trust him in those. Yeah, spoiler alert, Jesus is going to cross a line in today's story. That's why we're asking the question. He's going to cross a line, and we're going to see one group basically say, all right, you've gone too far. Potentially, even this group of people love Jesus, like we're really interested in him, like many people in the region at that time. But then he crosses this line, and we're going to see that that's when they reject him. That's when they say, "Whoa, this is too much for us. In fact, their response is, surprisingly, it's fear. They're afraid. Essentially, they're afraid of his authority. They're afraid of, of the ramifications of following Jesus or Jesus hanging out in their town. Again, you'll see that as we tell the story. We're going to get there. But let's start with this. As we tell the story again, Mark chapter 5. We're going to start with the first few verses here, and we're going to see that this story is going to illustrate this struggle within, this battle between our good intentions and then, or like the angel side of us and the demon side of us. If you think of like the 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 old cartoon, you know, white, white angel on one shoulder and red devil on the other shoulder, we, we all kind of have that, maybe not to the extent of the guy in the story. Mark chapter 5, here it is, starting in verse 1. So Jesus and his disciples arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out of the tombs to meet him. And this man lived in burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. And whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed, smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue, subdue him, Day and night, he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. So we get this vivid picture painted for us by Mark in this story. And it's actually, again, most of us can't probably relate to the howling and the shackles and the living in burial caves. But John, this really is, in essence, it's like a good metaphor for so many people living in sin today because really, when you're living in sin, the, the Bible says that, that you're as good as dead. So really, a lot of people metaphorically are living in those burial caves. Yeah, really, it's a, it's a picture of all of us before we put our faith in Jesus, that, that literally we, we're dead men and dead women walking. You know, Ephesians 2, 1 and 2 says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. And we know that scripture tells us the wages of sin is death. And we may think, well, not always. No, always. You know, there's emotional death, relational death. There's not always physical death, but sometimes there's even physical death. There's certainly spiritual death. There's separation that it causes between us and our creator. And and that's what this man was experiencing. You know, this this wasn't a metaphor for this man in a lot of ways. Like he literally lived among the tombs. 
nobody does that. You know, no, nobody wants to be in the presence of death. And he likely had been pushed away from the town. I mean, if you think about it, it doesn't seem, there's nothing in the story that says he was like this from birth. So at one point, this man had a normal life. He lived in the village with everyone else. He had friends, he had family. But because of this possession, he'd been driven away from the town. He was too dangerous. Nobody could control him. He was too strong. He had supernatural power. And so now isolated, he only harms himself. It talks about how he went around howling. He cut himself with sharp stones. This is just a reminder to me that the devil does some of his best work when we're in isolation. When we get isolated, man, he's the only voice we hear. Uh, he, he starts attacking us. He condemns us. And we see that it, it drove this man into, into self-harm. You know, he started cutting himself. and Nobody could control him. Nobody could contain him. Yeah, it says no one was strong enough. So it show it really shows us the power of that little red devil on our shoulder. It shows us the power of the enemy, that the enemy is strong. And we again, most people don't maybe recognize it to this extent in our lives, but it's just as destructive in the modern world for people who are in that like like Ephesians two said that are dead because of their disobedience and many sins. Again, we in the world we live in, everyone's living like that, and so we probably don't even recognize the power of the enemy, but we we certainly see it in this guy's life. And and so as we read on Mark chapter 5, let's go to 6 to 10, it says this, when, when Jesus was still some distance away, this is so interesting, it really jumped out at me when I read this recently, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. So it seems like at first, there's like a part of this guy that is excited to see him. He runs to meet him. He bows low before him. And then it's the next verse is really interesting. It says, with a shriek, he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. So now we see it's like it's like the two sides of this guy. There's part of him that's excited to see Jesus, but then the demon speaks up. Again, the demon is strong. The demon is subduing him. The demon is is impacting his will, his decisions, his choices. And so he shrieks and he screams and because Jesus had already said to the spirit, "Come out of the man, you evil spirit." And then Jesus demanded, "What is your name?" Now again, he's he's not talking to the man now. He's talking to the demons in the man. And and the man replied, my name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. And then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. So John, for me, when I read this, it's so, man, it's so descriptive, it's so insightful to think about sort of the man versus Legion, like this epic struggle within that I think we can all relate to. Yeah, we can. And Paul certainly could relate to it, right? You know, Paul talked about how he continued to do the things that he didn't want to do, and he didn't do the things that he did want to do, as, as he explains that same battle that we have within us. Yeah, I, as you mentioned, Brian, I had I'd missed this. I mean, just to be honest, I had missed the idea that this man ran to meet Jesus. Jesus didn't seek him out. The man sought Jesus out. And it seems that the reason he ran to Jesus is because Jesus, upon first seeing him, had already said to the spirit, mm. come out of the man, you evil spirit. 
So, so this man sees Jesus. Jesus, upon seeing him, recognizes his demon possession, and he commands the spirit to come out of him. And out of, out of awe and worship, right, that this guy is like, someone finally can help me. Someone, someone can do something about this situation. He's calling these demons out, sprints to Jesus, and bows before him. And then that's when we see the, the demon kind of take over and shriek. And the demon addresses Jesus like with his official title. He says, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? And, and there was a strategy behind that for the demon. In that, in that culture, there was a superstition that if you address someone by their exact name, you had spiritual power over them. In fact, in the way that the, that the Pharisees would try to to uh, free people from demonic possession, they, they had to try and figure out the exact name of the demon. There was just a lot of superstition built around that. And so it's almost like, it's almost like Legion is kind of firing, firing a shot at, at Jesus, like lobbing artillery shell that I'm going to see if I can get control of the situation. Now, clearly we know that he can't. We know that, that even in their address of Jesus, they have the right theological facts about who Jesus is, but they don't have the right attitude. And we talk a lot about that at our church. Like when we come to Jesus, it's not just enough to have the right information. And the Bible says that the, the demons have the right information and they shudder, but we also have the right attitude. And so these demons weren't addressing Jesus in this way because they wanted to submit to him or you know, because they, they recognized that, that, that this was a hopeless situation. They were actually trying to exhibit some sort of authority over him. And this failed. It failed because Jesus is uncreated. Demons are created. In fact, it was Jesus who created the demons. Colossians 1, 15 and 16 says this, that Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. And so, so those rulers, those authorities in the unseen world, that, those are demons. Those are the angels that they're talking about. So clearly this is a mismatch. So even though no one in the village was strong enough to contain this guy, it's a whole other level when Jesus comes on the scene. Yeah, it's interesting that, as you point out, that the demon had to use this superstition to try to gain control. He names Jesus, Jesus, son of the most high God, trying to like assert authority over him almost. And, but Jesus doesn't have to revert to those kinds of games. Jesus doesn't name him, even though he knew his name, like you said, he created him. Jesus asked him his name. That's it's such a great insight that Jesus didn't have to play those games. He said, no, you go ahead and tell me your name. Because he was about to deliver this man from these demons. He was exerting real authority, not like superstitious fake authority. He was exerting real authority over Jesus. And we see that in verse 11. It says, there happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hills, hillside nearby. And they said, send us into those pigs. They, again, the spirits are begging Jesus. We again see the real authority here. The spirits are begging Jesus, not the other way around. Let's keep that in mind, that Jesus has real authority. Jesus has authority over sin and the devil. 
and and we see we see this so clearly in this picture the spirits are begging him to let us enter those pigs instead and then it says that Jesus gave them permission i love that jesus gave them permission and the evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs and the entire herd of about 2000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water now again we're we're only just passed halfway through the story here. We're going to see the reactions in a second. But John, first, let's talk a little bit about this deliverance and what it says about Jesus's authority. Yeah, I really appreciate that you you highlighted that they asked for his permission, that Jesus has ultimate authority. And so even back to our question for us today, is there a line that we won't let Jesus cross Jesus has the authority to cross every line in our life. He has the authority for ultimate say. And and one day, everyone's going to recognize that authority. You know, the blessing that we have as believers is we get to recognize it now. We get to come to Jesus and say, we recognize you as Lord. We recognize you as King. And, and these evil spirits even recognize the Lordship of Jesus. And so they get his permission to to go into this herd of pigs, which... Here's your lame pastor joke for the day. That's the first recorded instance of mass suicide. <laughs> I actually have never heard that one. I love it. I might, I might have to use that one when I preach this sermon, John. When we think about this, zoom out a little bit, we, we see this stark contrast between life with Jesus and life without him. Right? Life, life with Jesus brings well we're going to see it here in a second when we see what happens to the guy just he we're going to see that he is like sane all of a sudden like in his it's going to say he's in his right mind versus could you imagine can you picture the chaos of these 2000 that's a lot of pigs these 2000 pigs like like rushing the hillside and just like diving off the hillside it's just it's it it had to be pretty shocking for people to see this and again, going back to our Ephesians 2 verse, you know, where, where Paul is talking about being dead in your sins and living in the burial caves, essentially. It goes on in verse 4, and it says, but God is so rich in mercy, he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you've been saved, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So we this we see this contrast between this you know burial cave existence, chains, shackles, and now this uh, watershed moment where these demons are cast out. There's all this chaos, which a lot of times happens, right, John? When when someone first comes to faith, there's a there's a lot of times a lot of chaos around that because it's such a stark contrast. But it's worth it to get on the other side of it because of God's power and mercy and, and authority over all things. Yeah, it's a reminder to me, too, of just how the goal of, of the devil and the goal of, of Jesus are mutually exclusive. You know, Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it to the full, but that the devil came to steal and kill and destroy. I mean, that's even what he does with the pigs. You know, he's, he's been killing this man slowly but surely, you know, killing him, bringing him to death, because that's his mission. That's what the enemy wants to do. Jesus frees this man from that, and we see the man all of a sudden has life. He has this abundant life. Like you said, he's in his right mind. He's got peace now. He has joy now. 
And, and what do the demons do? They go from tormenting this man and, and causing him to die. And, and literally they, they kill the pigs. They, they, they cause all these pigs to drown in the water. And so it's just a, a very graphic reminder to me, a, a very graphic picture that the devil, he's out to kill. Like you need to know that. I mean, as a, as a follower of Jesus, if you're married, if you have children, like the devil's out to steal and kill and destroy. We need to be aware of that. We don't have to be fearful because again, look at, look at who is on our side. You know, we, we have the almighty God of the universe who's on our side, uh, but make no mistake, the devil's desire is to steal and kill and destroy. Yeah, that's, that's so good. That's, again, we see this in the story, but again, the story's not done because finally that brings us to this polar opposite reaction that we've been talking about since the beginning. So, so what happens next is really, I think, maybe the most applicable part of this, of this story, because not everyone's going to respond the same way to this miracle. I mean, it's a miracle. It's a life-changing miracle for this guy. You'd think that everyone was just like high-fiving each other and praising God, but that's not what happened. Verse 14, the herdsmen, right, the ones who owned the, the pigs, they fled to the nearby town. That's an interesting word. They fled. That, that doesn't speak of excitement. They're not running excitedly. They fled like they ran away from something terrible. They fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. Again, don't read, don't read the wrong thing into this. They're not spreading the good news like, come and see you. You won't believe what Jesus did. This is awesome. That's not what they're doing. It says that people rushed out to see what had happened. And a crowd soon gathered around Jesus. Again, we've seen that a lot in the Gospel of Mark, these crowds. But this is a different kind of crowd now. And they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there clothed, fully clothed and perfectly sane. Okay, so, so far everything we're reading is we're like, great, we're, what are we expecting to read? And they were going to be like, and they praised the Lord for the power and authority of Jesus. That's not what it says. They, they see the, him sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane, and it said, and they were all afraid. So here's this, re, this response that you, do, you almost don't expect. They're afraid. And then it says, those who had seen what happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs, and the crowd began pleading with Jesus. There's that word again, begging Jesus. The demons were begging him, and now the crowd is begging Jesus to go away and leave them alone. John, help us to understand this response because again, I think initially maybe if we don't really put ourselves in that place, we could be too hard on the crowd and the herdsmen and say, how dare they? But I can kind of relate to what's going on here. Yeah, they they were scared. Obviously, I, I also noticed that word fled. And so it's not so much about what they were running to, it's what they were running from. And the original word that that is translated fled there, it means to escape or to flee from danger. So they were scared, and they were scared for a variety of reasons. One, I think they were scared of the financial loss. I don't know what 2,000 pigs would have been worth in that day and time, but I have to think that was worth a lot of money. Um, but also their superstitions had been scattered. And here was this man that nobody could contain, nobody could control. He was too strong. And now there's another man who's stronger than all that. See, if you, if you don't know about Jesus's goodness, his power would be terrifying. 
Think about that for a second. They didn't really know about Jesus's goodness. All they knew up to this point was his power, that he was more powerful than these demons who had held this man captive for so long. Um, there was some news about Jesus in this area. This is east of the Jordan. If you think back to a couple of messages ago when we kind of outlined all the different areas where people had come to Capernaum to see Jesus, it talked about the area east of the Jordan. So news of Jesus had gotten here, but this area wasn't, it wasn't predominantly Jewish like some of the other places. So I'm sure they have a, a, just a different context about who Jesus might be, uh, what he might be like. And so they were afraid. And God's work can be scary when we're not a part of it. I've even recognized that as a believer. Like sometimes when God's at work and things are happening and there's chaos going on, uh, it, it can be frightening because it causes us to recognize that, that we're dependent on him, number one. Number two, it causes us to recognize that we don't know the plans of God all the time. You know, the Bible says that God's ways are above our ways, his thoughts are above our thoughts. And so sometimes God is up to something and we just kind of have to enjoy the ride. You know, we've got to come along and say, God, I don't really get what you're doing, but I know I can trust you. I know that you're good and, and, and just join him, join him in what he's doing. Yeah, and it makes you think about how much a life is worth. And that's a good question for people today. Essentially, here, the, here these guys are. They're like valuing this man's life. They see him sitting here perfectly sane and in his right mind and healed. And, and, and yet it seems from the story that maybe that 2,000 pigs were worth more than one man's sanity, one man's life, one man's freedom. And I think that's a, that's a good question to talk about with your family or your small group or with your mentor as you're talking about this. Like, how would you have responded to that? And again, don't be too hard on the crowd. I, I can relate, John. I, can, I admit I can relate to the crowd that I, I would be like, Geez, that, Jesus, you, why, you didn't have to do that. You, you didn't have to give permission to the demons to go into the pit. You could have just cast them out. And I think maybe part of the reason, we don't know, but maybe part of the reason Jesus did this is to make us wrestle with this question. Uh, how, how far are we going to let Jesus go as if we have, we have authority over him? But that really is sort of the insightful thing in this story is Jesus has all authority and yet he's a gentleman. I don't know if that's the right word, but he's a gentleman and he gives the pigs permission and, and even we're going to see what he does with the, the crowd's request. Yeah, I've... <laughs> It's hard to admit, I guess, in a way, but I've, I've been guilty of this. You know, I've, I've had times when we've had individuals come into our congregation that had mental health issues, that were homeless, that clearly made other people uncomfortable. And as a pastor, I've wrestled in my head, like, is it worth having them in here? Am I going to yeah. lose other people for having these individuals worship with us? And man, what a like what a convicting thing to have to admit that I've had those thoughts. Now I didn't say it. <laughs> I didn't I didn't ask them to leave. I didn't say it out loud, but I I've got to be honest that I've had some of those thoughts. Like, is it worth, you know, losing three other people who may not come back for this one individual? And um, you know, clearly Jesus would think it's worth it, right? Jesus would leave the ninety nine to go find the one. And then I think this is where you were headed, Brian. But the other thing that's really frightening about this is sometimes when you plead with Jesus to leave, he does. Mm 
You know, like when people continually reject Jesus and just say, I don't want any part of Jesus. I don't, I'm not open to him. And Jesus, I don't want you to be part of my life. He's not going to force that. He's not going to argue with you. Sometimes if that's what you want, he's going to go, you know, he's, he's going to leave. Now, you know, there's going to be other chances. I'm not saying that, you know, you make up, make one mistake and Jesus, you know, never is going to give another opportunity. That's not what I'm saying. We see throughout the Bible that God is long suffering. He's patient, but Jesus is not going to force a relationship on you. If you ask him to get out of your life, if, you know, if, if you just don't want to begin a relationship with him and you say, I don't want any part of that, Jesus is not going to overrule that. Even though he has all authority, he is not going to force you into relationship with him. Yeah, it says in verse 17, the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone, and he did. He went, he left. Verse 18, as Jesus was getting in the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. So here we, there's that word again, begged. We've seen it, what, four or five times now. We've we got the demons begging, we have the crowd begging, and now we have the man begging. And here's the other side of this response. So the crowd, the herdsmen, they're saying, get out, you've crossed a line, we're afraid of your power, we don't get it, and it's too costly for us. But now the story ends with Jesus interacting with the healed man, um, and, and he, he's saying, I want to go with you, Jesus, and who can blame him? Like, you changed my life, and plus, I'm not sure I want to stick around with these guys <laughs> you know, with this crowd and the herdsmen. And I could totally understand what this guy's saying. But it's interesting, Jesus said this. He said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. And so the man started off to visit the 10 towns, the Decapolis of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. And so we see this, this you know, response of gratitude from the guy who'd been healed. And John, I think it's interesting that finally, that finally, I think this might be the first time in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus is willing to let the news spread. It seemed like every other time he did a miracle, he told the people, don't tell anyone about this. So let's make sure to address that, but help us to understand this, uh, this guy's response to Jesus. Yeah, I find it interesting. Who knows how long it had been since this guy had had community with his own family. The, the story doesn't really tell us how many years he had been like this, but he's so overwhelmed with gratitude that he, he doesn't even think of his family first. He wants to go with Jesus, <laughs> um, which, which should be instructive for us. You know, like Jesus said, if you're not willing to leave father and mother and brother and sister, you're not worthy to be my disciple. That as amazing as our family is, and um, as much as we love them, that, that Jesus is more important than that. You know, we can make our family an idol. And, uh, and, and this guy apparently kind of wanted to do that. And I think there's some other reasons that he may have wanted to do that too. You know, again, think about this culture and that culture there's a good chance the man thought that he might have to stay near Jesus or the demons would come back. And so by not allowing him to come along, Jesus is showing this man, look, you're truly free. There's no superstition involved in this. You don't, you don't have to be with me to be free from, from the demons. Um, you're, you're a new person. You're a new creation. And, and you no longer have to do that. So that's one thing that jumps out at me. And then like you said, Brian, Jesus tells him to go and tell what God has done for you. 
I think maybe one of the reasons Jesus didn't tell him to keep it a secret is that this this is happening in the Decapolis. This is a region of of 10 Greek cities on the east side of the Jordan. And so news spreading of what Jesus had done for this man in this particular area isn't going to draw the same type of opposition from the Jewish religious leaders that it would have drawn in Capernaum, for example. And so he'd be able to have an impact in this area with his story that the Jewish disciples wouldn't have. Uh, because again, the, the cultural context of the Gentiles and the Jews, the people of that area knew what his life was like before his encounter with Jesus. I think this is another great example of how Jesus can use the bad things in our past for his glory and to accomplish his purposes. Uh, so you may have an area in your life that you're just embarrassed about and that just, you know, you wish, man, if I could just go back and do it over but I just want you to know, like, God can use that. God can use even the bad parts of your story to draw more people to him, to bring glory to him. And I also love the simple instructions Jesus gave this man to go share the good news. So, so keep in mind, Jesus hasn't gone to the cross yet, mm-hmm. right? We, he, he can't really share the gospel in the sense that you and I share the gospel. But Jesus says, look, I want you to go and tell your family about everything God has done for you and about his mercy. Go tell everyone how merciful he's been to you. And that, that is the gospel. Like for us now as believers, that, that's what we should be all about, that we tell people, look, I was dead. I once was dead. Just like this man was living among the tombs, I was dead in my sin. I was broken, but God made me alive. God was so merciful to me. Jesus went to the cross for me. He died for me, and now I'm a new person. Now I have life. I think sometimes we can overcomplicate sharing the gospel. And, you know, Brian, we, we have a passion for giving people tools to share the gospel, for giving people tools to help the next person pursue God. And tools are important and tools are valuable and we believe in them. But the best thing you can do, guys, is go tell people what God has done for you and how merciful he's been for you. Just one more thing. If you put yourself in the in this guy's shoes, he runs to Jesus as he's getting in the boat. And let's not forget that it was probably disappointing at the very least. If not, it felt maybe like outright rejection that that this guy wanted to go with Jesus and Jesus told him no. So again, it's just one more little glimpse at maybe a line that Jesus draws you know, or that, or that, or that we don't want Jesus to draw that, you know, I I could see some modern day Christians saying, Jesus said no to me. And so I'm, and so now I'm not going to follow him anymore. And and that wasn't this guy's response. He was essentially rejected by Jesus. Jesus said, no, you can't come with me, go back. And, and the guy didn't just kind of, you know, slouch his shoulders and feel, you know, say, what was me? He, he went and uh, I think that's really, even just that is a, a good reminder for Christians today. Yeah, it's another example of he submitted to Jesus's authority in his life, right? He, he could have pouted, he could have complained, uh, but he didn't. He went and he, he shared his story. He told people all around, all those who would listen, and, and the Bible says that they were amazed. Like His testimony was powerful. It was impactful. Uh, the people in that region were amazed at what he told them. And that is a great reminder for us. You know, I, I don't know what Jesus has said no to for you. You know, maybe 
I was thinking of a guy that I went to college with who had his heart set on a particular young lady. They were both believers, but for whatever reason, she just didn't reciprocate those feelings. And I remember for like six months, this guy was so mad at Jesus, just so mad that, that it didn't work out. And, and you know, I, he didn't lose his faith, but he definitely wasn't, he wasn't sharing the gospel. He wasn't, he wasn't submitting to that. Now, eventually he did, you know, God softened his heart and, and he eventually submitted to that, but that, that can happen. Um, and, and in ministry, sometimes we have a, a plan in our mind, you know, we've, we've got this, this, uh, land in, in Syracuse, right. For one of our campuses that for years and years, we thought we'd build on that land. And it, and it sure seems like God has a different plan. Now we could have pouted about that. We could have complained about that, but instead, I really feel like as a as a church, as a staff, you know, we were like, hey God, it's it's your church. <laughs> your plans are trustworthy. And and if you have a different plan, then we just want to see you move in that. And and he's moved in some really incredible ways. So let's remember not to have those lines that we're asking Jesus not to cross because he does amazing things in and through us. Sometimes the most amazing things when he crosses those lines. It's a powerful story. Again, it's a story from Mark chapter 5 that you probably would not have found much application to in your life because you probably aren't possessed by a demon. But it really does show us the authority of Jesus and these two crazy responses, two polar opposite responses. And the question that you really need to ask is, which one are you? Are you going to respond like the like the demoniac that, get, that was healed? Or are you going to respond like the herdsmen and like the townspeople who said, I don't, I don't think I can handle this kind of Jesus. Make sure to talk about it in your small group. And join us next time because we're going to continue to study this incredible book, The Gospel of Mark. Hey, listeners, this is Brian Dwyer reminding you to rate this show on your favorite podcast app. That really does help us when you do that. That way more people can discover this podcast and start listening. And also, don't forget to share the podcast with a friend.